Time is an asset that we all have and are continuously spending. However, it can never be replenished or replaced or regained or taken back. Work in academia is characterized by his free nature and autonomy, and we generally master our own time. It is a tremendous gift. So it is imperative to develop effective time management tactics and habits to administrate our time wisely and productively. We sit today with our guest, Jai Erhard. Jai is an author and expert who specializes in behaviors that cause imbalance, disengagement, and distraction. I am Blanca Camoretti Mercado at the University of South Florida, and I am the chair of the Assembly on Respiratory Structure and Function at the American Thoracic Society. Thank you, Jai, for talking to us once again, and welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for our discussion on time today. Great. So this is the fourth chapter in the series of Balancing Work and Life in Academia that you have been holding with us. You have uh, spoken monthly and shared your thoughts and expertise about important issues like digital boundaries, energy and mindset, stress and anxiety. And today we will discuss time management. So let me start with a simple but perhaps a difficult question to answer. What is good time management? What does it mean to practice good time management? Yeah, right. This is such a great question because we think about time management in so many different ways in our modern world. And a lot of us, when we think time management, we go to things that are really tactical, like how do I organize my calendar? Um, do I color code certain things so visually I know how to prioritize? We get very tactical when we think about time management um, in our modern world. That said, what I like to turn the conversation around to is thinking about why you're doing what you're doing when you're doing it. I'll say that again. I think about time management more in the aspect of a philosophical view to think about why you're doing what you're doing when you're doing it. And so the essence of good time management then boils down to intentionality around understanding why you're spending time and energy the way you are when you're doing it. Because as you know, most of us get caught in these cycles of busy and where we have a lot of things that we want to accomplish and there's a lot of things going on, roles and responsibilities we have at work and in our personal life. And we get caught in these patterns that maybe aren't always intentional around how we're using our time and the way we're using our time. So good management, good time management starts with the intentionality of why we're doing what we're doing when we are doing it. <laughs> That's fascinating because um, sometimes uh, I think, um, uh, you know, uh, while you were describing this why, what, and when, uh, mm-hmm. it came to my mind, you know, a, a difference between, let's say, we in science, we are, you know, investigators or clinicians, and uh, there are things that we could do uh, automatically, you know, like a laboratory technician. But mm-hmm. that is not what, you know, distinguishes us. And at the end, it could work, but then at one point, 
that practice cannot work, you know, any longer because of the uh, dynamics of life, because circumstances change, etc. So I think that your approach to take, you know, a one or two step back and think about the why, the what, and the when, I think is a, is a is probably the right approach because that will yeah. take the how. And and it's fun to take this scientific approach to looking at yourself, looking at the way you're using your time almost as you're researching yourself as a project, right? Taking that observer approach to like, that's interesting. Why am I doing this right now? It might be because it is the best use of your time or it might be because it's an old habit and it no longer supports whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, okay. So let's, you know, work out on these uh, three kind of pillars that you just presented to us. Mm-hmm. So then how does the idea of awareness and mindfulness fit in improving our time management skills? That would be kind of the yeah. why, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. So the, the why, the awareness is, as I define it, awareness is the ability to see the world and how you show up in it. And awareness is one of many skills within the field of mindfulness. And so I like to focus on awareness, the ability to see the world and how you show up in it, in relation to having the ability to see how you're using your time and how that time is either supporting your desired outcomes or sabotaging your desired outcomes. And unless we have awareness around why we're doing what we're doing, it becomes really difficult to actually shift whatever it is we're doing in relationship to how we're using our time. So we first have to have the skill of awareness, right, that scientific observer, why am I doing this? And then you have data, and then you can make a choice what to do with that data. You know, for example, I noticed that I'm spending a lot of time on social media. That's time I'm spending on something that might not be supporting uh, the higher desired outcome, which might be to, you know, publish a paper, for example. But we have to be able to step back and notice, and that's the skill of awareness that lets us just step back and pause and see how our actions are showing up. Mm-hmm. Sounds yes, deceptively um, simple. <laughs> well, you know, it's, uh, you know, sometimes simple things are probably the hardest ones to implement. Um, you know, it, it, it could be a kind of vicious circle in the way that uh, sometimes you don't, we don't uh, are mindful and aware because we don't have time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And because we have no time, we become stressed, and uh, which you know makes makes us even don't find the time because you, we just uh, worry or we have just to handle so many things at once. That's right. I talk with a lot of my um, clients when I you know speak and teach workshop. But I say well, we need to learn how to slow down so we can speed up. Because it's only when we slow down we can see how it is that our time is sabotage, how we're spending our time that is sabotaging us. So then we can be more intentional to allow us to, you know, speed up in the ways we want to speed up. But unless we slow down to really see, it's hard to have that data to, you know, kind of course correct. And so it's counterintuitive. <laughs> and most people feel like slowing down to look at life a little bit differently as a luxury and it's not even possible. That said, Mm -hmm. the way we've been living our modern lives is no longer possible as we're seeing in, you know, healthcare and the damage that's happening to our bodies from too much stress, the damage that's happening sometimes in our relationships, our ability to be present with others and with ourselves. So 
at some point, you know, we're we're coming together in the middle with a new way of kind of solving a few different problems by slowing down so we can speed up in the ways that are meaningful to each of us. Yes. Um, you know, sometimes we have this idea, probably because, you know, the, the, the pace of society and the, the tremendous, uh, you know, um, pressure that we all feel and have. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think that we feel or we have this wrong notion that being busy is what makes us, you know, uh, being productive. Mm-hmm. And yes, while we need to be busy to accomplish what we have decided uh, is important for us to, you know, to achieve, uh, sometimes uh, we just you know, we can see ourselves just being busy for the sake of being busy. And I think that, for example, for us, you know, scientists or, you know, researchers, um, mm-hmm. having, you know, this, um, I don't know, like an empty time or mm-hmm. time that we, if somebody look at us, it's like we are doing nothing, is very important. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, I have, you know, a relatively large family, and sometimes, you know, I have to recruit myself. And, and I tell you, this is, this, is, this is true. Many times, you know, when my kids were very, very young, and, you know, they were always after you, you know, because they always need something from you. Mm-hmm. I, I saw my time just vanishing away from my hands. So uh-huh. the one strategy, the one strategy I found is I will lock myself in the basement. And, and I think that... Mm-hmm. Um, there is, you know, this time for for everything, and everything has to have their own time. But right. the, but the crucial thing, as you say, is to be aware of that, to know that. It's very important uh-huh. to say no, That's to defend right. the time that we have. And I think um, several times, um, at least for me, one one of my the, the thing that I have to learn to protect my time, is to say no. It's an exercise of a disi- <laughs> of discipline and, and mm-hmm. of awareness. That's right. It's awareness and intentionality. And, and you described the process so, so beautifully. And in, in it's really about understanding our relationship with time and how we can use time more to our advantage, like to befriend the time as opposed to thinking about time as our enemy. And I want to go back to something you said earlier about when you described creating this time for this kind of self-care, this self-healing time in your laundry room where you can have a couple moments of quiet. I hear a story like that so often from people all around the world who, you know, they, they lock themselves in their cars or their bathrooms just to create a little bit of this downtime. And so the question is, how do we create, what's the, knowing the difference between when you need this downtime, this reflection time, this just kind of being time versus this idea of empty time, which is when we're kind of mindlessly using time, um, where we're kind of channel flipping across different TV stations, maybe we're on our social media feeds, maybe we're wandering around, you know, trying to multitask doing five different things where it's very sporadic and unintentional. And so when we have intentional time, like downtime, or like you were talking about earlier, like there are certain times of the day where maybe you're going to be better mentally to be in front of a client 
to be with a patient. Or there's times better where you might be in a more reflective writing mood or you want to, there's times where maybe your brain can better handle crunching data. And so being able to have awareness to your own body's rhythms, um, for example, I write in the mornings. For some reason, it just is the time that I like to write more. So I do more interviews and client meetings in the afternoon. And so I know my relationship with time. So then my time management is based upon more intentionality as opposed to first available on my schedule. And it's only through the skill of awareness, through the willingness to slow down a little bit and see our calendars and see the choices we're making that's going to give us the data to begin to create a new relationship with time and create more time. I guarantee you if you go through this process, it, something shifts and all of a sudden time is your friend and it feels like you have more of it, even though it's a math equation, and we all only get 168 hours in the week, period. So it's a mm-hmm. math equation. But when we're in alignment with our values or we're more clear why we're doing what we're doing with our time, that 168 hours can can feel, you know, like 500 hours sometimes. That's true. And I think... I think again, uh, sometimes what um, you know it's a kind of paradox um, when you know because some um, you know junior people or even you know your, your, you know your, your children or friends um, always uh, you know uh, it's my experience that the less time you have, the more time you make. And only because you, I think your priorities, uh, you know, sooner or later uh, are going to detect you what is important and what is not. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. many people uh, or people with children, they accomplish the same or even more than people who have (laughs) not that kind of responsibility. And you say, you know, why... That's what it is. I think because, you know, um, sooner or later you learn what is important what, uh, first, and then uh, you, you, you learn to be efficient, of course, with that. And mm-hmm. then uh, you learn, I think, which is also key, not to yeah. waste time. And I'm going to give you everybody a little secret here, a little tip that, that summarizes what you're saying. Is, is what, I, what I found in, in my work over the last you know, decade is, of people will spend their time and their money on things that relate to their values. And if you're spending time on something that's not in your value structure, something that's not important to you, that's when you're grouchy, you're unhappy, or you're frustrated, or you feel like you don't have enough time. And a lot of times that goes back to our yeses and our noes. So we might say yes to doing something that we don't want to do, because we don't want to disappoint someone or hurt someone. And so when we're doing whatever it is we said we were going to do and we don't want to be there, it changes our relationship with that time. The time starts feeling scarce or we start feeling stressed or pressured. But when we're doing things, we're saying yes to spending our time in ways that support our values or support our priorities, time feels abundant. And we there always seems to be enough of it. And so with the skill of awareness, you can begin to notice where you're saying yes and no to things that are supporting your values or maybe sabotaging your values. And so it's an interesting exercise for people to do is to really look at your calendar and think about your values 
and see how how there's a correlation. Of, you know, again, it's just data, and look at look at the data, and it, the data works too if you want to use it with your your bank account too. <laughs> but it's an interesting way to see where this alignment is and, and uh, track it back to a feeling of scarcity or a feeling of abundance. I think that that was very you know clever what you have said, and what I realized also is that um, sometimes um, small amount of time are very effective. Um, and sometimes we just say, you know, okay, I have to kill, you know, these 10 minutes or have to kill this half an hour or even I have mm-hmm. to kill, you know, a couple of minutes. So, um, again, because of all these extra responsibilities that, you know, that I personally have, I found out that sometimes those one, two, three minutes are so important um, because I learned, for example, from my experiment that I tell you, an, a whole experiment that you plan for days and days can be just destroyed in one or two seconds. Oh, I was going to say, because that's right, it's the concept of being more present. And so we can have two hours or we can have two minutes. And if we're present for those two minutes, it can feel like two hours sometimes. And this is right, the concept of, of, of there's actually multitasking physically, like actually trying to do a couple of things at once, but then there's also multitasking mentally. And so when we can still our minds and be, be wherever we are when we are there for even if it's a small amount of time, these moments of time start feeling more meaningful and less kind of lost or fragmented when, when we're present. And so it doesn't take a lot of, Time to feel like you have time. It's again another paradox. Yes, it is it, um, because I know that these small bits of time are going to show up during my day. Let's say mm-hmm. waiting in the traffic light, uh, walking mm-hmm. to the you know in the parking lot. It works very well with me. Is as you were saying, you know, maybe just to have a long relative task, you know cut it in different sections that can be individually better managed. Exactly. And that's a be- that's that's the fluidity that we want to introduce as people think about what does time management really mean in in this world and getting away from the, the task orientation or the checklist, but to be able to use the time in different ways and say, I have these set of things that are kind of thinking time or reflective time, and what are the opportunities in my day where I can create these kind of thinking, these thinking times? Is it on my commute? Is it, you know, in the morning when I'm making my coffee? Is it as I'm having lunch? And, And just being open to developing these kind of types of time blocks and thinking time or strategy time is something I really encourage everyone to think about in their work day, what is it, where do you schedule your thinking time? Because a lot of people that I work with end up having what I call the second shift where they, they go home later and they do their thinking strategy time when they're not in the traditional idea of office. So what happens if you start building some of that thinking strategy time into your traditional day and playing with it in a different way? And so it's just an invitation to, again, explore and create awareness around when do I do my thinking time? Because especially in this industry and what all of you listeners are, are you know, focused on, it takes a lot of ideation time and strategy time to build these ideas and, and constellate these concepts and bring them together. And that doesn't happen when you're sitting behind your desk in like a forced doing kind of way. 
So how are you creating time in which you can invite this thinking or strategy space, right? It's about, it's about intentionality around that type of time too. So uh, knowing the do's, you know, what we mm-hmm. should do, what can we do uh, in time management, uh, mm-hmm. we have been discussing are very useful. But what would be the don't in time management? What are the most, you know, common mistakes that we fall into that sabotage our ability of being more, uh, you know, productive with our time? So there's there's three that I think are top um, drivers of imbalance or stress when it comes to how we're spending our time. And the, the number one is this idea of multitasking, where we're trying to accomplish two things at once. It cognitively, which as, as as all researchers know, this is it's not possible. Our mind task swaps. So we don't do two things at the same time. We go back and forth between them. So if you're on a phone call and you're also working on a, you know, uh, data crunching numbers, you're going to be going back and forth and that's going to take you twice as much time. So if we can single task with intentionality, that's going to help shift your relationship with time. The other thing is to really be intentional about why are you doing what you're doing when you're doing it? Is this the best time of the day for me to be writing? Is this the best time of the day for me to be presenting? And and see the see what's possible. It doesn't mean you can automatically begin to shift your calendar overnight, but over time you can begin to create a calendar that supports intentionality of your time a little bit better. And the third the third biggest like don't with time management is saying yes to things that you know you're not going to be able to do. And we do it to avoid hurting people's feelings, as I mentioned. But when you say yes to giving someone else your time when you don't have that time to give away, it ends up creating way more stress for you and the other person or people involved and ends up taking more time. Because then, you know, you might move it, you might reschedule it, or there's this drama and anxiety around it. So if you know you can't do it and you can't give someone your time that way, begin to practice saying no instead of yes, because that that yes is taking way, way more time um, than you originally think. So multitask less, be intentional while you're doing what you're doing, and Avoid saying yes when you know in your heart and your gut the answer is no. <laughs> if you practice those things, your relationship time will begin to shift. Or, or at least I think if we decide, let's say because we have no other choice but to say yes for whatever reason, um, mm-hmm. maybe because we fall into the into the, the pressure, maybe we really mm-hmm. think that we should do it. Uh, maybe it was, mm-hmm. you know, um, it was advisable to do it. Whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. I think that we should be, um, you know, conscious enough, clever enough that if we took a new task by saying yes, we should be realistic and cut down something that mm-hmm. we're planning on doing because then a time. And then have the courage to have the conversation in the way that you just had it. I would like to say yes to this, but if I say yes to this, I'm going to have to say no to something else. And if that happens to be your manager, your boss, your advisors, your funders, whoever that audience is, then you can have an intentional conversation about it, which a lot of us avoid because we're scared to have that conversation. But if we have that conversation, 
then we can create a new path or we can reprioritize, we can let something go and allow something new in. So being willing to start having a different conversation um, is is where, where it begins. So we have awareness, we have a different conversation, then we can own our yeses and our noes. Yes, and I think that what, what you just uh, mentioned about uh, communication, I think mm-hmm. is, is, is very important. A very important component in accomplish what we set for is to have the support. And yep. in, in those lines, I think it's very important to have feedback. Yep. That's and right. And the paradox that, is, with support, if we don't, tell people what we need to be supported or what's important to us, they can't support us. And so when we're not clear what we need or want, when we don't have that personal reflection time, that time to get clear what it is we're doing, then it's hard to align our time, our use of time to that. And then it's hard to ask others to support us because if we don't know, they can't help us. Right. And it's all very, it's all very connected. And so creating that reflection time, communicating what those needs are and then, you know, trusting the people in your life, work, home, friends, family, are going to support you whatever it is that you need. But it's a different way of being than what we've kind of created in our modern world This kind of busy reactive. So we want to slow it down a little bit and be more proactive, more intentional, more communicative with the people in, in in our life and our different ecosystems. Yeah, it sounds really cool. easy when we talk about it. Intellectually, I'm sure everyone who's listening is like, right, this makes sense. But then we, we end this podcast and you go out into you know, your business day and that's where it becomes a real practice. And coming back to awareness, coming back to seeing the choices you're making and then knowing that you have a choice. And, you, you know, you're going to make choices that sabotage you and then you make some choices that support you. And over time... The proportion of choices that support you become more, mm-hmm. but it's only with practice. It's a slow process, and people want it time management to be a quick. Give me the top three things to do, and this is you know we'll be good by the end of next month. Unfortunately, it's not like that. It's small little shifts over time that over time give you more time. <laughs> yes, and then you know. Um, for many of us who have some kind of, um, you know, authority position, mm-hmm. I think there are uh, two things that cross my mind when you were, uh, you know, talking right now. One is um, to respect the time of others. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that, you know, I need time, that doesn't mean that whatever I have to do or need to do, I have to, you know, throw it to somebody else to do it for me. Students, interns coming to, to the lab. And um, you have to dedicate time to them. And mm-hmm. people will see, you know, that maybe as a waste of your time. Have uh, the returns for that time that I spent uh, to teach, to guide, you know, to advise a student, pay off several mm-hmm. fault. And it's lovely because we've just come full circle because you just described a great example of being clear why you're doing what you're doing when you're doing it. And so understanding the longer-term impact of how you're spending your time that way, even though it might feel a little, you know, inconvenient or like, you know, lack scarcity of time, you understand the impact of why 
you're choosing to do that because in the long run, this is, you know, the benefit. And so that's that's a great a great example of the process of being intentional why we're doing what we're doing. Yes. I have a question about procrastination. Yeah. I I read a you know a few years ago that for some people I think the article was saying that this, you know, <laughs> feature of our personality could be good if we know how to Make a twist. So I don't know if you have any um, opinion about that or you, you know, have something to teach us about that. What I've learned about pro- procrastination is that there's two drivers of it. The first one is we're procrastinating things that don't support our values. So if we, we've been asked to do something and we're procrastinating it, it's because it doesn't support our value structure or something we believe in. The other driver of procrastination is fear. Um, fear that we're going to be inadequate or we're going to fail at something. And so when we can begin to enter into seeing what we're procrastinating, am I not preparing for this because I'm scared that I might fail if I give this presentation or if I write this article or submit to this journal, or am I doing it because I actually don't believe in this work or I don't feel good about the people I'm working with, I, I'm concerned about their integrity level or, you know, whatever that conversation is. So th- I have a slightly different, you know, approach to procrastination, but I, I believe it goes back to a little bit more of these um, these, these deeper correlations with kind of our being and who we are in the world. That's what I've noticed about procrastination. So there's, again, some more data for you when you're procrastinating to see, you know, is there a fear there or is there a disconnection to your purpose for why you're doing what you're doing? I, I think that, that's a very clear, you know, presentation of why we procrastinate. Um, that's very, very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, Again, time management is never really about time. <laughs> At least that's what I've learned. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's to set, you know, um, to find and to set um, a few um, steps uh, that will actually will affect our behavior uh, to know ourselves, and mm-hmm. that will, I guess, manifest in time management, but probably in mm-hmm. other aspects of our life. I will, I'm right. having suspicion here. That is my belief. My belief is I, I, my work is all based upon something I call the awareness framework, which is quite simple. Your behavior has an impact and there is a result, whether you're aware of it or not. And our behavior is through our words and our actions, and our actions are representative of our relationship with time. So, and they're all based upon values. And so our behavior has an impact and then there's a result. And we can be intentional and make choices about our behavior and see how it's going to impact. Or we can be unintentional and be surprised about the impact of our behavior, <laughs> which is a place that a lot of us have lived and, and do live and will live again. But when we can see it, then we have the data or the ability to say, oh, I did this and it caused that and oh, next time I can choose something different coming back to that scientific observer, that, that skill of awareness. Where, you know, it's a yeah. non-judgmental thing, hopefully. <laughs> it stays non-judgmental. Oh, I did that, and you know what? Maybe next time I'll try something else because that didn't really work for me. I see. I think, you know, um, flexibility is also mm-hmm. um, 
important uh the ability to to see you know to 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 be able to be surprised i think is also important uh now you know as being you know the chair of my assembly in, in ATS uh mm-hmm. you know have all these meetings that have to attend you know virtually in person and what i found is that how useful and how important is to have an agenda and mm-hmm. then to take the time to write the minutes. Mm-hmm. Why? Because with an agenda, is is exactly what it is. You know in advance what you're going to tackle, who is going to, uh, you know, drive maybe that portion of the of the conversation or the discussion. Um, then you always have open questions, you know, during or at the end. And then, of course, you have to um, have, you know, a, a goal that you want to accomplish uh-huh. with that particular meeting, let's say. So having an agenda, um, yeah. better, of course, is in, in writing. You know, you, okay, you have an agenda in your mind. That, of course, is good. But I think in yeah. writing, it's very important because it guides you step by step mm-hmm. what needs to be done. And then um, the minutes, I find out, you know, even, you know, sometimes I'm kind of resistant to that. Uh, but I found that it's so crucial because mm-hmm. it gives you both things. It gives you, you know, the summary of what happened in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the meeting, which means, you know, it can tell you yes or no, whatever you plan, your goals were achieved or not. It mm-hmm. takes you, you know, um, what are maybe important players or important issues that you could have missed or anticipate, and then uh, it tells you um, action points for what you're going to do now, what you're going to do next. And what I learned also is that when it's over, the time comes, that's it. Give you a one or two minutes, and that's it. You have to finish. And, and vice versa, if the time, if for some reason, you know, you finish earlier than you uh, predicted, then don't kill the time. <laughs> Don't start talking about you know, <laughs> the weather or whatever. You know, just hang up and take those five, ten, three, or whatever minutes to do. You know, one of those little, you know, tasks that I have in during my day that I can accomplish mm-hmm. in that you know time that suddenly present you know vacant for me to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you just described how agendas treat people, how we use our time. So it sets the expectation as a boundary for. This is why I need your time. This is what you can expect of your time. And then the minutes is an example of here's what you know you got for your time and how to carry that forward. And so when we're um, able to have clear expectations of how we want to use another's time, mm-hmm. it goes back to being respectful of how you're requesting others and then allowing them to make the choice for how they're showing up to support you. And so, you know, things like meetings, agendas, purpose, the per- when you're having meetings, having an agenda, having a meeting purpose, and having even what's expected out of each role can help people be really clear on what is expected of their use of time in that meeting, even to the point of sometimes someone only needs to attend the first 10 minutes of a meeting, um, not the whole meeting. And so being more clear, that kind of starts getting into some of the tactics of how to uphold some of the intentionality around why we're choosing 
to have that meeting in the first place. You know, I'm coming from Argentina, and in Argentina we have this essay that is like this, you know, uh, keep order, and order will keep you. And then when you so have that structure in place, it becomes much easier than to revisit it maybe once a year, every couple of years, and ask yourself, is this still the structure that supports me mm-hmm. or my team or my organization? Because likely it will shift a little bit, but when you have a structure in place, when and then you can go and ask the question, is this still supporting who's in these roles or what our goal and purpose is, it becomes easier to make smaller pivots, smaller shifts to a structure that exists. I mean, we're we're human bodies, and we need time to nurture ourselves through, like, getting the proper nutrients and water. And then, you know, if we think about sleep, it's like how we plug ourselves in at night. Like, you plug in your phone or your computer, we that time becomes really essential. And when we're deprived of some of those basic needs, then it starts impacting our brain structure, which starts impacting how productive and innovative we are with the time that we have. And this is where a really fun last note, when we can start reframing time and pairing time together, exercise is a great way. So, for example, I have um, some of my executive coaching clients where we actually do walking meetings. So then you can start reframing time, and exercise is a great way to reframe time. That's a very interesting idea. I never thought about that. <laughs> but <I> think, yeah. <laughs> why not? Um, why not? Exactly. Why not? And that's exactly the point I want to make for this whole conversation is why not to begin to play with our relationship with time in a different way and really think about why we're doing what we're doing when we're doing it and does it have to be that way. Excellent. What a perfect time to end our conversation, AJ. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else you would like to, to add? I just want to remind everybody that the the choice is yours. And this seems so obvious, and and we all know it, but sometimes we forget it. The, 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 the The power you have is almost overwhelming when it comes to shaping your relationship with time and creating the time in your life to do that which it is you wanted. That's great. Okay, thank you very much, Jay, for taking the time and to participate in this podcast today. You have given us an excellent information and strategies to better deal with uh, our time and manage it. And I hope our colleagues could apply easily and successfully some of those uh, recommendations you shared. I believe we can get informed and keep learning about all these issues. But at the end, as you said, time management is a work in progress and each should find out and determine empirically what works for each one of us. Thank you again and best wishes. And I want to give a special thanks also to the ATS staff who facilitate the production of this podcast and to Chelsea Ekison who facilitate the communication with Jay. And to all of those of you out there, thank you for listening. And please stay tuned for another interesting podcast from the RSF Assembly. Thank you. <laughs>